the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Turning an important corner in our conversation, you know, it was clear back in 1965 when the Roman Catholic Church officially rejected the idea that Jewish people were responsible in any way for the death of Jesus. Pope Benedict XVI has decided to reiterate the point in a new book, Jesus of Nazareth, Part 2. Many have hailed the move as a groundbreaking step in relations between people of Jewish and Roman Catholic faith, and in fact, for all of Christendom, for that matter. The Pope's announcement comes after painstaking analysis of the Gospel of John and Matthew, as well as texts that cover the hours that preceded Jesus' death. Of course, what's amazing about this story is, when you get down to the core, as to the reason, from a prophetic standpoint, as to why Christ came on earth, and why eventually he was uh, executed on the cross, and then rose day again on the third day in fulfillment of Scripture, is simply because of sin. If you want to look at who is responsible, literally, for nailing Jesus to the cross, take a look there in the rearview mirror if you're driving, or when you get home, look at the mirror. It is you and me. It's everyone. It's mankind. It is our sin. Uh, that caused Christ to be nailed to the cross, that ultimate sacrifice, uh, so that for all mankind, for all time, we might have, by this means, uh, the ability to be reconciled unto the Father. With that amazing message, the, the opportunity before us, as always, to share our faith of Messiah with our Jewish friends. And toward that end, a new book out entitled, A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. We're joined by the president and CEO of Jewish Voice Ministries International, and of course the television program Jewish Voice with Jonathan Burnus, broadcast throughout the United States, including here in the San Francisco Bay Area on cable TV. And uh, Rabbi, welcome to the program, and Shalom. Shalom to you, Craig. Thanks for having me on today, and love the way you stated that. I, I couldn't agree more. That an important step, do you think? I mean, in terms of just, you know, I, I think as Christians, we certainly need to understand who is responsible for Jesus' death. All of us understand, ultimately, it is sin that caused him to be sacrificed on the cross. But then, too, do you see this, uh, Rabbi, as an opportunity to really, in a significant fashion, reach out to uh, our Jewish friends and be able to once again share our faith? Absolutely, Craig. You have to understand that this that this uh, erroneous blame uh, 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 that was cast upon the Jews for killing Jesus, which is absolutely unscriptural, has been the cause uh, or, or has resulted in a 2,000-year legacy 
of hatred, of anti-Semitism, of atrocities committed in the name of Christ and Christianity against the Jewish people. It's the, the accusation against the Jews for killing the Son of God, for committing deicide, and then the idea that God has irrevocably rejected the Jewish people, and they're now under his judgment, that has been responsible for the Crusades, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, uh, the uh, pogroms of Russia, and even the Holocaust in, in recent times. And we have to overcome that legacy as true believers in sharing the truth uh, with the Jewish people, the truth of God's Word, and that is that, he, that Jesus laid down his life for us as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world by dying for us and paying the price for your sin and my sin. And that is the gospel message. Spend a moment, if you would, to put all of this in, in perspective for our listeners, uh, a bit about your own story. I'm assuming raised in the, the traditional Orthodox Jewish family? I wasn't raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. Uh, my parents were, uh, my father was brought up Orthodox, but I was raised in a, a traditional Jewish home. Uh, went to synagogue uh, very often on Shabbat, uh, learned uh, Hebrew. Uh, at Hebrew school from the time that I was uh, a young teenager uh, in preparation, probably started at about age 10 in preparation for my bar mitzvah at age 13, where um, I read from the Torah as a rite of passage for Jewish males. So maybe uh, not the traditional Orthodox family, but certainly very engaged in your faith. I mean, this is a part of, of, of your day-to-day -day life. Yes, this was, while the other kids were going to... Uh, football practice or baseball or just getting to play outside, I was being shipped off to uh, Hebrew school twice a week, <laughs> and then on Sunday, uh, mandatory religious study at the temple, and I was raised with a very, very um, strong sense of identity. I was born Jewish. I was taught that I would die a Jew. I learned about the history of our people, how God had spoken to Abraham and Moses in times of old and that we were the chosen people, although I, it wasn't uh, clearly um, communicated to me what we were chosen for, what that meant. One teacher told me we were chosen to be persecuted, so I, I wasn't too thrilled about that. But there was a very strong sense of identity uh, and, and being part of uh, or responsible for continuation of our people. Um, which, which is, is still, I think, very, very strongly in the minds of Jewish people that the survival of the Jewish people is paramount. Even Jews who don't believe in God or are agnostic believe in the importance of preserving their Jewish identity and heritage. And I was raised with that very, very strong uh, sense of purpose as a Jew. Let's pause for a moment. When we come back, I want to pick up the story as to how then, with that strong sense of, of pride and, 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 the, and the goal toward preservation of your Jewish faith, your Jewish heritage, that you make the transition into coming to accept Jesus that we know, Yeshua, as Messiah. Our conversation today with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus, a look at A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our visit with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. He, by the way, is also the president and CEO of Jewish Voice Ministries International and um, host of the weekly television program Jewish Voice with Jonathan Burnus. We're talking about not just his new book, A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth, but also his, his own tale, um, his own story of coming to the acceptance of Messiah. You know, it's interesting that you, you recount some of the events that have gone on in the world down through the millennia, um, Rabbi Bernice, that have given Jewish people great cause not to accept Jesus as Messiah. But in your case, um, what was it that that prompted you, uh, no doubt, to at least begin researching some of the claims, and I would suspect at some point, beginning to see parallels between the story of this man of Nazareth named Jesus and what we see prophetically uh, throughout Scripture of his coming. Craig, it was, it was really a, um, a process that took a number of years, uh, and that process began uh, as a, a teenager uh, in high school, uh, and my interaction with an, an assistant wrestling coach who was a born-again Christian and leader in a, in a group called Young Life. And he really made an impact on me because I saw in him uh, things that I uh, had really valued and, and know that I didn't have. For example, he had a sense of purpose. I always uh, believed that there must be something uh, greater in this life, something more than meets the eye, and, and he had a real sense of purpose, of destiny, and that was very attractive for me. He always seemed to be in a good mood and didn't need to uh, drink and, and, uh, and, and party as um, was, was so typical of the people that, that around me and the era that I grew up in. And so I went to some Young Life meetings that he invited me to and heard these stories of this Jesus. And I was intrigued with the person of Jesus uh, back then, uh, this man who could walk on water and heal the sick and even raise the dead. Uh, and, and so I found the person of Jesus was attractive. But I have to say this, that the, the, the um, people that shared the gospel with me back then uh, and there were numerous people, including this wrestling coach, uh, students that were attending the Young Life meetings that had an encounter with God, other Young Life leaders. Uh, it was at that point when they tried to convert me, as I saw it, that I let them know immediately that I was Jewish. And what's very sad, Craig, is that in every case, when I said that I was Jewish, I always got an apology. They always apologized to me. And what they were, in effect, doing was reinforcing my erroneous uh, view that Jesus was not an option for me as a Jew. Uh, and that's sad, and that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. And, you know, I'm curious, too, because I think a lot of us uh, that, that perhaps don't know much about or have never studied or, or don't have any close Jewish friends don't understand the, the connection between the culture, the history, the identity at so many levels, and this notion that somehow you're going to betray, uh, you know, your, your roots by, by, you know, giving up your Judaism to become... <gasps> one of those Christians. Absolutely. And I was raised with this mentality, what I call an us-and-them mentality, 
that we were Jews and anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Christian or a or a Gentile. We didn't make any distinction between the two. We didn't distinguish between Catholicism or or, or uh, Protestant uh, uh, views. Uh, we had our our rabbis, uh, our scriptures, the Old Testament, what Christians called the Old Testament, our holidays, and Christians had uh, their leaders, their scriptures. Uh, their God, in fact. Uh, our God was the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I was taught that the God of Christianity was Jesus Christ, who I thought was the son of, of Mr. and Mrs. Christ, who somehow <laughs> would become God. And this, these misconceptions are very, very typical of Jewish people, particularly here in America. And so this, this, this was my upbringing, my heritage. And I don't think Christians understand that, that uh, Jewish people um, understand Christianity to be a distinctly different religion, blaming us, of course, for killing their God. And uh, it was a complete shock for me to read the New Testament and discover that this wasn't the book of Christ about Christianity, but this, in fact, was about a Jewish man raised in Israel, not in Rome, uh, and that all of his first disciples were all Jews who never converted to Christianity but discovered that this was the promised Messiah. I, I'm curious toward that end, Rabbi. At what point does the light go on for you? You're thinking, well, surely Jesus Christ must be a Christian, and you come to find out, oh, wait a minute, he's Jewish. I mean, I, I, clearly, as you read through uh, much of, of Scripture, uh, his identity comes out very strongly. W when this notion began to dawn on you, what was your initial reaction? Were you shocked? Well, let me back up a little, because I am jumping the gun a little bit. So after this, this Young Life encounter, which lasted a year, a year and a half, and during that time I heard the Gospel quite often and, and was, was had the privilege of participating in a number of, of uh, actual Young Life camps. So it was a very meaningful experience for me, very positive. But I moved on, uh, went on to college, and like most of the uh, young people my age, I got involved in drugs and was just searching for, for uh, meaning in life. Uh, the Bible says that we Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, and that, that means we're searching in all the wrong places which was my story. I uh, got involved in Hare Krishna for a while and different cults and so on. And it was through the, the transformed life of a, of a friend who was uh, a fellow drug user uh, who really got deeply involved in drugs. And then one day uh, when I saw her off campus, I knew that something had changed. She looked uh, clean, healthy, she was smiling, and I asked her what happened to her, and she explained to me that Jesus had uh, changed her life, that she had become born again, and uh, that she was completely delivered of drugs. And I found that very intriguing, but of course my response was, I think, very typical of, of, of many today. Uh, that's wonderful for you, but it's not for me. But you know what, Craig, she didn't give up on me. She got her friends praying for me. She... Uh, called me just about every day asking me about why I was here on this earth and what was going to happen to me after I die. And I'll tell you, it was very intriguing, and although in my mind I, I didn't want to believe what she believed, uh, I didn't want to answer those phone calls, I found myself drawn to these conversations with her, and that finally uh, um, 
ended in, in attending a Bible study that she invited me to that I originally said no to and found myself driving to in the rain on the back of my motorcycle. I really believe that when you have people praying for you, uh, something happens. It, it changes uh, things. I like to say it this way, uh, that uh, God respects free will, but he stacks the deck when people are praying. <laughs> and it was at that Bible study that uh, I prayed a prayer uh, after the study with the Bible study leader. And then, to tell you the truth, I went home and tried to forget the whole thing, because I realized then uh, sanity took a hold of me, and although it seemed the right thing to do at the moment, as I reflected on it, I realized I'm Jewish, I'm enjoying my life, this isn't for me. But within days, Craig, I had this newfound desire uh, to read the Bible, and not just the Bible, but the New Testament. And it was then that uh, I, I drove all the way back to Rochester, about 100 miles from where I was uh, going to college at the University of Buffalo, and found a Bible that this assistant wrestling coach had given me probably four years earlier and said, someday you may want this. Let's and pause right there if we can, um, uh, Rabbi, and we'll pick up the story right after a brief time out. If you've just joined us, mid-conversation with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus, a look at a rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. We'll get to more of the conversation after this edition of Lifeline continues after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Rabbi Jonathan Burnus is with us tonight. A look at his new book, A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. All right, then, Rabbi Burnus, we pick up the story. Uh, you went back and picked up a copy of that New Testament that you had been given by your wrestling coach, began leafing through it, and and as you did so, were there parallels? I mean, at, at what point did it begin to emerge this sense that, wait a minute, this Jesus of Nazareth, by gosh, he's actually Jewish. Well, Craig, it it was a complete shock for me. I just want to say this, first of all, that uh, as an encouragement to those that are listening, this wrestling coach had given me this Bible four or five years earlier, and it wasn't until uh, the, this point in my life where the Lord finally uh, used that seed and I will just want to encourage people that are listening that the Word of God never returns void, and don't give up on that loved one that you're sharing with. Uh, in answer to your question, Craig, it, it, I saw this on uh, page one. The very first few verses of the New Testament were a complete shock to me, and, and many people listening maybe uh, read the uh, the lineages and just kind of or, or or jump over them or wonder why are they there, but for me as a Jew, to read uh, the, the, this lineage in Matthew, in the very beginning, Jesus, uh, the son of Abraham, uh, the son of David, was absolutely shocking to me. Because here I had been brought up uh, believing that the New Testament was the book of the Christians and had nothing whatsoever to do with Judaism. And on page one, in chapter one, in the very first verses, I see Abraham and David. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, David, the greatest king in our history, and I had no idea how to process this. I couldn't understand what these Jews, these prominent Jewish patriarchs, were doing in the Book of the Christians. And then went on to discover that this Jesus, this, this Jesus Christ, 
the God of Christianity was in fact Yeshua, which means salvation, that was his given Hebrew name, that he was born in Israel, not Rome, that he uh, was born of Jewish parents who were good Jews and made sacrifice in the temple, that all of his first followers were Jews, and his ministry was to his own people. I am but sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and went on to discover that these followers of Jesus did not convert to Christianity, but they were Jews who lived as Jews, who died as Jews, who had simply understood that Jesus was Yeshua, the promised Messiah of Israel. And that was just so eye-opening. It was life-transforming for me, Craig. But if you think that that was shocking, it was even a greater shock for me to go back to my own scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, uh, the writings, uh, and discover uh, these scriptures. Uh, uh, By the way, there's another misconception that Christians have, that the Jewish people have, have read the scriptures and know them better than most Christians. It's absolutely untrue. I had never read my own Bible. And as I went through the Torah and the prophets, I discovered prophecy after prophecy uh, that spoke of this Messiah, and I clearly saw Jesus, Yeshua, in so many of these prophecies written hundreds of years before he was ever born. It completely changed my life. I wonder how many Christians, under the false impression that they're ill-equipped to share their faith or minister to, uh, a person of a Jewish background, under that misconception, as you suggest, Rabbi, that, that well, most Christians, you know, uh, clearly don't know Scripture nearly as well as the average Jewish person, which just must be steeped in memorization from top to bottom. It's totally untrue, and one of the reasons I wrote the book, because most Jewish people, which, and this was the case, my case, uh, what I had never read my own Scriptures, and about 90% of the Jewish community here in America are in that same boat. They, they have no idea what the scriptures that they base their, their heritage on say. And that's why uh, I encourage believers, true Bible believers, to understand what the, uh, what's in the Old Testament uh, and to use the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the Messiah. Because there's so many prophecies, hundreds in fact, written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born that tell us where the Messiah would be born, when he would be born. Daniel 9 tells us he had to come before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that he would be born in Bethlehem, tells us what he would accomplish, why he would die, that he would die for our sins, that we would esteem him, uh, uh, that we would not esteem him, but that he would be stricken by God. And we would misunderstand that, in fact, he was uh, wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed, as it says in Isaiah 53. The promise of the new covenant being made with the Jewish people, where God would forgive their sins and remember them no more, Jeremiah 31. And it was, it was only then that I discovered, uh, after I had prayed at this Bible study, that I discovered these prophecies written hundreds of years before Yeshua, Jesus was ever born, and as I said, it transformed my life. As it did so, what goes on in, in your heart and mind, and as you shared earlier, Rabbi, I mean, you, you, had, you had been through much of the study as a child, albeit not from a necessarily orthodox Jewish home, you were nevertheless practicing, very involved, very aware of your faith. 
Now all of a sudden you're reading through your own scriptures. This is not a broadside handed to you by Jews for Jesus. God bless them for what they do. You're reading your own scriptures and suddenly seeing some parallels between this man who claims to be Messiah and what and 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 what you see inside of your own scripture. What's going on in your mind? Is there a sense of my my own faith is crumbling or my own faith is becoming? complete, that there's a, maybe a missing part of the the equation, the puzzle, the picture, that now all of a sudden is coming into focus? Well, the latter. I, 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 under, I began to understand uh, during this time that I hadn't converted to another religion uh, and left my Judaism, but in fact, uh, I was embracing uh, the true meaning and significance of what I was chosen for, to know God, to love Him, have a relationship with him. And I I guess one of the other thoughts, Craig, was why wasn't I told this earlier? Mm. Why was I lied to? Why was I told that the New Testament had nothing to do with our people? Uh, Why did Christians apologize to me when I said I was Jewish uh, instead of telling me, this is your Messiah, this is the most Jewish thing you can do? Those were some of the thoughts that went through my mind then, and I've spent the last 30 years uh, seeking to reach my own people with the gospel, because the reality is that Jewish people have not rejected the gospel. They simply haven't heard a gospel that they can understand, and that's why also another reason I wrote the book. Mm, I think that's a very significant point you make here, too, and that is that oftentimes the presentation uh, has been, you know, albeit some occasions with malice, other times simply out of ignorance, not really presented in a, a clear, logical fashion. Am I right? I, th- I think it's just a, a lack of understanding. Uh, yes, I agree with you. I think it's a lack of understanding that Christians have about uh, Jewish people and the way we're taught, uh, and we need to overcome. I say it this way, just as missionaries have to travel overseas. Uh, in, in sharing with Jewish people, you have to travel over a sea of misunderstanding. Yeah, you, you were just going to, your, your line of thinking is right where I was going to go. That sense that we, we've seen a rethinking of the old uh, Western model of of missions work, where you go into a nation, you you plant a church, you invite people to come, uh, and you take the approach, and you kind of you kind of model it after what is familiar from the Westernized viewpoint of Christianity, which oftentimes make no sense in any given country. Why should uh, we change someone's culture? It's not about changing their culture. God loves culture. He loves diversity. It's about changing a person's heart from within, and and. They're going in one direction, and they're to do a U-turn, and they're traveling away from God, and we're to turn them in the other direction and face God and walk towards Him. And it isn't to say that the message changes. It is the same Messiah, the same message for all mankind for all time. It is, as Paul, I guess, said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm all things to all men that I might win some. That that notion of being able to share one's faith in another man's language. It is. It's about language. When a Jewish person hears Jesus Christ, they don't hear Savior, they hear God of, uh, of the Gentiles. When a Jew hears the word convert, uh, it's very threatening, because for them it means to leave behind the heritage that, they, that was in, in, deeply embedded 
into them as a child, uh, and and the 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 commitment to preservation. Is, but but uh, the word convert really means to to, to do an about face, and so I, I make it clear that Jewish people don't have to leave their Judaism to find the Messiah that was promised through our own prophets. And, you know, that's so true. I mean, we understand the totality of the promises that are there in Scripture. I mean, I I would suspect even as as you were being raised and you were studying the Torah and so forth, were there not references to Messiah, though in the context of of has yet to come? Well, uh, yes and no. They they were there. They were often overlooked. In reality, there's no one view in Judaism about the Messiah. Many Jews have... Uh, completely uh, given up on the concept of a, of a literal Messiah and replaced that with a desire for a utopian age, uh, a messianic age uh, that we bring about by our good deeds. Uh, sadly, we've strayed very far from Scripture, and as a people, I think the Jewish people need to return to God. And you see a lot of that uh, portrayed in, in, in so-called secularized Judaism, do you not? You, you do indeed. There's a, really a replacement of relationship with God and worship of God for the things that we can do, such as social justice, to bring about this utopian age. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that runs so contrary into the understanding of grace uh, and, and, and works. And I, and I guess that, that, that that's an interesting insight, too, to help our listeners understand. You know, therefore, no wonder sometimes it is challenging in sharing the story of Messiah to a Jewish person who, under the circumstances that you're suggesting, uh, have, have dedicated a life to the belief that it's based on works. And now all of a sudden we come in and say, oh, by the way, it is not based on works, at least any man should boast, but strictly on what God has already done on our behalf. And, and I suppose that all of a sudden, now you've got some short circuits going on in the brain that then runs contrary into what they've always understood or embraced. Indeed, and let me add to that, even the concept of blood sacrifice, of, of sacrifice uh, needed to atone for sin, is something that has been lost uh, almost entirely to Judaism. And so why talk about a sin-bearer, a messiah, if you don't even recognize your sin? So uh, we as as Christians read the Old Testament and we see the stories of the sacrifices and what went on in the Holy of Holies and so on and so forth, much of that, even within the most orthodox of Judaism, is not taking place anymore. Am I correct? Well, I think that, that, that you're absolutely correct, and I think that there's been a redefining of Judaism, a, a reinvention of Judaism after the destruction of the Temple. And so we've largely lost the, that connection back to the, the core understanding that God demands the shedding of innocent blood for the remission of sin. Indeed, I say it this way, there's a difference between Biblical Judaism of Torah and rabbinic Judaism that, that Judaism of today is based on. So as a young, eager Christian, you go to a Jewish friend and say, but don't you understand, Jesus died, he was sacrificed. He is the, he is the lamb without blemish who was sacrificed on your behalf. And they go, what? Huh? They do indeed, which is why I advocate things like Messianic Passover seders, uh, where you can help a Jewish person uh, or invite a Jewish person to an event that connects them with their history, the matzah, the 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 the, the four cups of wine, the uh, all of the different elements of the Passover uh, seder, uh, and you can they all point prophetically to. 
the atoning work of Jesus at Calvary. A look at a rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. Back to more of the conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation continues with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. A rabbi looks at Jesus of Nazareth. From your unique perspective, Rabbi Burnus, what would you say are some of the key things that we can be doing uh, as Christians in, in more effectively sharing the story of Messiah? I, I think largely, I mean, knowing of an audience, for example, like we have here in San Francisco, it isn't for a lack of love or compassion. I think, as you suggest, oftentimes it's just simply a, a lack of understanding. What will you say are some of the key things that Christians can do to become more effective at sharing the story of Messiah with our Jewish friends? Well, Craig, thank you. That's a great question. I think there's a number of things uh, I'd like to touch on. First of all, is to break down those misconceptions. Understand that the Jewish person in your life, that God has put into your life, is not there by accident, that he's put them there for you to, to, to uh, provoke to jealousy, as it says in Romans 11, uh, 11 uh, to understand that, the, the, that they don't know the scriptures better than you do, that they haven't rejected the gospel than they need to hear. Uh, so breaking down those barriers. Uh, second, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's of great value for Christians to understand the Jewish mindset. You can do this very simply. I go into enough detail in my book to, to really help uh, Christians to understand what Jewish people hear, what, what, what you mean to say to them is not what they're hearing. The third thing, uh, so there's some semantical things uh, that I talk about, words to avoid and uh, uh, language that I think uh, provides uh, more clarity. And, and the approach is different, as you were suggesting, between someone who is strictly of, say, a, a secular Jewish background versus somebody who... Uh, has a religious background such as yourself, to then tertiary, I suppose, someone who grew up in an Orthodox home? I think there's some differences, but in, in effect, you have to understand that felt needs are the same whether one's Jewish or not Jewish. Uh, the need for a sense of purpose and identity, uh, of what ha- the answering the questions in life that all of us need to face, why are we here and what happens to us after we die, uh, when people go through a crisis, they, 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 they're looking for answers. And I think that supersedes to a large extent uh, anyone's background. Um, but yes, indeed, sometimes uh, someone who's more orthodox uh, may be easier to share with if they're open because they adhere to, to the authority of the scriptures. Which, which leads me to my next point. I think that to learn some of the messianic prophecies and how to present them to a Jewish person and understand that the, the, that the uh, disciples, when they expounded on the scriptures and proved that Jesus was the Messiah, did not use the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament. They were using the Torah. They were using the prophets. They were using the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And so I think it, it uh, is very helpful to learn some of the, the key Messianic prophecies and how to present them to learn how Jesus, uh, Yeshua, is at the center of some of the different uh, feasts of the Lord, the celebrations such as Passover and, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, I think is very, very helpful. And then most importantly, to, to, to understand that 
only God can open up a person's heart. Uh, we have to open our mouth and share, but God can op- opens their heart. And so to pray and to get other people praying for that Jewish person that God has put into your life, I, I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is, Craig. And I would suspect, too, as I found, at least this was true from my experience, that doing the research to understand the connection, for example, between a lot of the feasts and the parallels that we see, parallels that we see not only gives you tools to more effectively share Messiah with, with your Jewish friends, but for me also, it's like taking a trip to Israel, you know, it, 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 it turns on a light, it, it opens up a deeper understanding and awareness of things that we see that I think helps a Christian better understand his own faith as well. Do you think that's true? Absolutely. It, it's, so, it, it's so enriching to go to Israel to learn some of these um, uh, types and foreshadows. It, I, I find with most Christians, uh, every, everyone that has... That has uh, that has studied these um, typologies, gone to Israel with me, and so on, uh, has found uh, it's deeply enriching and that the relationship with the Lord has has grown much closer. Now, I don't want to make this a commercial, but I want to spend a moment. Tell us more about your book and how you see potentially your book as being a tool uh, that can be used certainly by believers looking to reach their Jewish friends. And I wonder, too, then, the parallel, can this be a tool to, to effectively put into the hands of a Jewish friend? Well, absolutely. I wrote the book for two, two, two audiences. First of all, the Christian audience that has a Jewish uh, friend or co-worker or neighbor and, and also wants to learn uh, how um, the, the whole gospel message, not the gospel message, as much as Christian theology has changed over the centuries uh, from what the scriptures actually teach, the whole idea of replacement theology and so on. I wanted to break down those barriers that keep Christians from sharing their faith, not just with Jewish people, but with people in general. So I talk quite a bit about evidential apologetics proofs uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. In we have, fact, to have to be careful to avoid subjects like, you know, uh, being a strong promoter of British Israelism, things of that sort, exactly. too. Exactly. <laughs> and my premise is this. I say this at the, right in the beginning of the book, that it takes more faith when you look at all the evidence to reject Jesus as Messiah than to accept him. I can't prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is Messiah, uh, but, but when you look at the evidence, it's very, very strong. So I wrote it for Christians and helping them to better understand how to effectively share the gospel with that Jewish person in their life. But I also wrote it as a tool to give to an open-minded Jewish person uh, that, like me, was searching for, 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 uh, for the reason for life, that was searching for uh, truth. And there's many Jewish people out there that are open to, to um, investigating the claims of, of Jesus. And, and I I wrote this for them as well. So it's for open-minded Jewish people and and for for Christians that want to learn more about um, the Jewish person in their life. A word, if you would, Rabbi, about your ministry. Well, Jewish Voice Ministries International uh, was founded in 1967, right before uh, the reestablishment of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War. And we're a ministry that is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel to the Jew first, uh, anywhere in the world where the Jewish people are, are, where there's Jewish communities that are open to the gospel. 
and then secondly to help educate uh, and mobilize Christians to be that light Jewish people that God has called them to be. We undertake very large humanitarian projects to the Jewish communities in Ethiopia and India. There's large Jewish communities there that are impoverished. We do um, uh, festival uh, outreaches of music and dance where we share our faith. Uh, we're really a ministry. We, we believe we're a last days ministry that's helping to proclaim the gospel to Jewish people in a way that they can understand. And I like what you mentioned um, earlier on in our conversation, that not only in terms of, of opening the eyes of, of Christians, but also an opportunity to effectively share uh, with Jewish people the notion of getting involved, getting information about um, a, a Passover Seder and Seder, and, and learning all the connections and ties in there. Well, what, a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. It is indeed, and we, we actually have a church speaking department that has speakers that go to churches around the country and share things like a Messianic Passover Seder. It's an incredible experience if you've never seen one or been part of one. If folks want to get more information on that, Rabbi, they can contact you or get more details at jewishvoice.org? It's that simple, jewishvoice, one word, dot org. Excellent. And the book as well, certainly through all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc., etc., but also through your website? Indeed, and chosen website. Uh, really hope that people will uh, find it uh, of value. A great tool. We appreciate the time and the education today. Craig, thank you so much for having me today, and uh, I really appreciate your ministry. Keep up the great We'll work. look forward to doing it again. There is Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. Again, his new book entitled A Rabbi Looks at Jesus of Nazareth. And again, this new book, uh, published by Chosen, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and details as too on the web, jewishvoice.org.